So if you're able, stand with me, if, with, if you will. Starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Well, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the father to the god of the, fa- the to god of the father when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be abolished is death for god has put everything under his feet now when it says everything is put under him it is obvious that he that he who puts everything under him is the exception that's the father When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Father, we come before you this morning to open up your word, to celebrate and to hear from your word about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glory, the glory of the resurrection the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our resurrection that we were raised to and will be raised into. So God, this morning, I pray that you would speak. Speak through me, Lord Jesus. Use, use me as your vessel to communicate to all of us this morning your hope and your goodness and your glory, your love and your grace and your peace. For you are so good, Father. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we were putting the t- things together for this morning, I was like, where, where am I going to go with this? Because there are so many different things you can talk about when, it's, when it comes to the resurrection, right? All sorts of different avenues and, and, and uh, results and reasons and, and things that come from the resurrection. It is, it is so multifaceted to talk about. But when I saw on the playlist that it said, All Hail King Jesus, I was like, that's it. That's it. And then Michael changed the, the set list. I was like, no, put it back, put it back. <laughs> and so we, we sung that here this morning. All hail King Jesus. And so here's, here's our point here this morning. All hail King Jesus, the risen Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth. When we think about that, that statement right there, All hail, 
King Jesus, the risen Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth. What is the question that comes to mind? Makes us ask the question, why did Jesus have to die in the first place? I always thought about this. Why did Jesus have to die? And I've had people approach me and say, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just say, oh, y'all are good. Y'all are forgiven. I'm not going to hold it against you because I choose to. Couldn't God do that? He's God. Right? But why? Why did Jesus have to die in the first place? What is the purpose of the risen Savior? The resurrection of the dead. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, they died. They weren't supposed to. Death was not a thing. Death was brought in to the world by Adam and Eve, into human existence, into animal life, into all of creation itself. Jesus entered into our death so that we may enter into his life. Because who was the first person to sacrifice an animal? God. Because they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. It wasn't going to work. Humanity cannot, the humanity has tried for years, for centuries, for millennia, for tens of millennia, to try to cover our own sin, to cover our own failures. And it still has not to this day succeeded. We are not a good world. Sin is still tainting everything. Everything and everyone, everywhere, at all times. Sin is prevalent to corrupt. Always. God does a lot of things in the Bible. Has done so many things. That's what this book is all about. That God created humanity to love and to be a part of this family. And we ran away. Tried to do it ourselves. And the story of this is mankind trying to do it by himself and failing and it only working out for them when they seek after and call on the, on the name of the Lord Yahweh. And all throughout Scripture, God shows us different things and different angles and perspectives of his desire to reconcile mankind to himself, to shelter them with the, his wings, to bring them back in to his goodness, to his glory, to his joy, his restoration of what it truly means to be human. Because guess what? He created it. He knows how he made it. God does a lot of things to show us who he is and to show us his love for us. So many different ways that's why I could preach till I'm till I'm till I die and not even get close to covering all of it. I was asked recently, Alan, why do you celebrate the Jewish holidays? Because we, we try to celebrate the Jewish holidays. We don't celebrate them like you know, religiously or, or very well, probably. You know, <laughs> you know, like a couple of Passovers ago, we had pulled pork. <laughs> so. <laughs> We don't really necessarily do them totally accurately to the T, right? Not kosher at all. 
But well, but I, I answered her. I was like, because God gave us holidays already. Amen. Well, I, you know, for me, I don't need to celebrate other holidays. You know, I don't need to have my kids dress up like demons to celebrate and get candy. You know, I'm not trying to like. I'm not passing judgment. Get, gosh, go go back and watch that sermon. I'm not judging anyone by that. You know, because I, I, that's been just conversation that we've had, but. This whole thing about holy days. Holidays is just simply a shortened I to a holy day. That's what it is. It's a holy day. Certainly, you know, like back in the whole, like, you know, like, you know, oh, they're trying to take Christ out of Christmas. Well, they're still calling it a holy day, so get over it. Yeah. <laughs> Happy holidays. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but I mean, because here, here's the thing, like, you know, Romans chapter 14, of all, of all these things, you know, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges, judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever believes the day, I'm sorry, observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Amen. So it, up to your conscience, like I don't cast judgment on anyone. You want to celebrate Christmas, Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day, St. Patty's Day, Saint, Halloween, whatever. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. Right. Everyone operate by their conscience. But I felt I, my response to her was that God has already given us such beautiful, wonderful, deep and rich holy days Amen. to celebrate his goodness and his glory and his love for us. So I want to talk about a, a few of those here this morning. So spring festivals are fulfilled in Jesus. Well, all of them, really. Um, so, you know, because we have like Passover or Pesach, unleavened bread and the festival of first fruits. And then, of course, we've got Shavuot, or Pentecost, in about 50 days. Then the fall festivals of Yom Teruah, trumpets, Yom Kippur, or atonement, and Sukkot, or Feast of Shelters. So we have all these different festivals that are all about the wonders and the glories and the, and the goodness of God. And I, I covered a few of them back in the fall. Um, and so I, I was tempted to go through all of these. So this is kind of a, a one-sermon you know, hit on all of the, the spring festivals, because it's all in one. All three of these spring festivals are... Squish into one. Because you've got Passover, which kickstarts the Feast of Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the second day of Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Feast of First Fruits. It's all squished together in one, basically one festival. They're like, well, we're traveling all the way to Jerusalem, so we might as well just put them all together. No. <laughs> but God had something very specific in mind, I think, when he did this. Because we can see Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled all all three of these festivals. Really, he's, he's fulfilled all of them. But I want to show specifically how he's fulfilled all of these and he was fulfilling all three of them during his passion. That Passover, he has become our Passover lamb. Now, we could spend forever on Passover. I love Passover. There are so many new, cool nuances and stuff like that. So many different ways. Um, and so, but this, yeah, this year I wanted to kind of talk about a couple of different things. So I got this back in, when was that? When we went in uh, July last year, went to the buck, buck knife factory. I got this knife. Nice. I hadn't used it. it looks like it. And we decided to, to actually, uh, Sam Berlin works at a wool mill up Dry Creek, and, the, and she raises lambs. So we bought a whole live lamb. And I didn't do this for any religious purposes or anything like that, but I wanted to experience what did they feel 
when they took the life of their lambs. And so I took my knife. We had all the kids in front of us. Uh, Educational experience. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have said that. (laughs) But I, I, I held the lamb in my arms and slit its throat. And watched as the, as the blood came out. We collected it in a little bin, as they would have. They collected the blood in, in bowls. And because, and so like after it was done, we, we, let it, we let it just, we were there, just watching it go until it stopped moving. And then, of course, we brought it back, and we had it for, for our Passover supper on Friday night. But the blood... The blood is where we were focusing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain full of blood. In the scripture, blood is a huge deal to God. The Bible says that in the blood is where the life of the creature is. Animal or human. That's where the life is. And if you look at the Old Testament, there there were certain places that you could shed blood. The temple and the the, uh, the the cities of refuge to go and do your 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 slaughter. Basically, the temple and the cities of, of refuge were the slaughterhouses, but they would all come to Jerusalem on Passover, and they would all gather together about three in the afternoon on that that day of preparation before the Passover began at sundown, and they would all at once say, three, two, one, go!" And they would all slit the throats of their lambs in God's presence, collect the, the blood in the bowls. And they would take all of these bowls of blood and they would splash it against the altar. Because why? And every time, this was going all the way back to the very beginning of the temple and the tabernacle, all the way out in the wilderness, because the blood, the life of God's creatures belongs to him. Amen. So he could not shed an animal's blood outside the camp. You had to shed it in his presence and then give him back the life. It was used for cleansing, all these different things. But here's the, cool, the coolest part that I just had a revelation, this you know, new revelation that, that I had on Friday. Jesus, was, Jesus died at the exact time, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, as the Bible says, as they were all in the temple slitting the throats of their lambs. Jesus said, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. And the blood was spilled. And at that same moment, do you remember what happened? The veil was torn. It was like God took his knife and he said, and I'm going to spill out my life all across all mankind. My, my son's blood has been spilled out for you so that anyone who receives it through faith would be cleansed with the blood of Jesus Christ. I pour out my spirit on all flesh. The, the tearing of the veil wasn't to allow, allow us in the presence of God. It was to let us know that God has left the building. Amen. Praise God. He, Is there something? Yes. <laughs> That's right. 
But here's the other thing. You know, so here's the thing. So God, Jesus became our Passover lamb. Because if you look at the context of Passover, when it said that, you know, basically like, think, imagine you're in your minds. This is reading all of uh, Exodus. You can go back and read it yourselves. That God and the destroyer are walking through the city. And he says, because what, what were they supposed to do in the blood, with the blood in the bowl? They couldn't spill, spill it on the ground like the pagans. They took it and took all of it and they put it up, up on the door frame. Yep. Not a drop of it would spill, spill on the ground. It was to go up on the door frame so that when Yahweh was walking through the camp with, with the destroyer, he would see the blood on the door and pass over. Now that wasn't like, the, you know, okay, I see the blood, I'm going to pass and just you know, keep going. That word Passover was actually from the pagan realm so that they would understand what they were talking about. The pagans would have their sacrifices by the front door or they'd have their altars to their, their pagan deities like Osiris, Isis, Hermes, you know, Horus, all those guys. And they would sacrifice their animal in the doorway to the God that they served. They would, and they would pass over into the house. They believed that the God would pass over the offering into the house to be whatever they needed, you know, fertility or flourishing or financial gain or protection or whatever it was, they were inviting the presence of that deity into their home. And they said this for a very specific reason, that Yahweh passed over their sacrifice, passed through the blood and became our protector, would not allow the destroyer to enter the house because he filled it with his presence. So much cooler than just him walking by, isn't it? Yeah, man. Amen. Yeah. So this is what they celebrated during Passover. So Jesus, by his death, by his crucifixion, the shedding of his blood, fulfilled the Passover. And then the second one, unleavened bread. This was kind of the, the Jewish Lent, if you will. They got all of the Lent out of their homes for Passover, and then they didn't eat anything that was leavened any bread that was leavened because they had the simulation that leaven equals sin. So you get the sin out of your life. Get the sin out of your house. Get the sin out of the people of God. Here's the thing. With his burial, with his death and with his burial, he got all the leaven out of our lives. Jesus has taken all all of the leaven of sin out of your life if you have claimed the Lord as your, as your Lord and Savior. Amen. If your belief and your allegiance is in Jesus and Him alone, you, God has taken all of your sin away, forgiven all of your sin and cleansed you from all unrighteousness by His burial. And then, as we read in our passage here this morning, what does it say? But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. They were a very agrarian culture back then. Everything was, you know, their, most, much of their lives was growing crops and, and sheep and cattle. They were very agricultural. Everything was based on and around this concept of agriculture and farming. And here's the coolest part of this first fruits that Jesus' resurrection happened on the day of first fruits. They would take the first fruits of their crops. They would take a palm leaf and, and a lemon and some other things and they would wave them before the Lord. It was like an like early charismatic flag day. You know, they were waving their flags of fruit, their first fruit before the Lord as a joy because they hadn't had fresh crops since 
the end of the fall feasts back in October. They were waving this newness in front of God, celebrating the God of newness and joy. It was a joyous celebration. And Jesus has become our first fruits. The new harvest, the new covenant, the new kingdom of God. And he became our first fruits that were waving him in front of God. And Jesus came out of the tomb on the day of the feast of first fruits. Jesus used his own death and resurrection as an illustration of all this. He talked about in John chapter 12, he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And here's where we can see this imagery in the passion of the three spring, three spring festivals. The crucifixion was the the Passover, fulfillment of the Passover, or the Passover is, is seen in the crucifixion and the death. The unleavened bread is the burial of the, our old self, the leaven in our lives that has been buried with Christ. And he has become our first fruits from the dead. Romans chapter 6 says this, All of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to, in God, to, to God and Jesus Christ. So we are baptized into his death so that we can share in his resurrection so that we can walk in the newness of life. Jesus didn't come to die so that you could be a law abider, abiding by this whole like new Christian law of do's and don'ts, judgment and condemnation, whether by people interpreting the scripture wrong or people's just, people like just throwing their opinions on you. Like, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas or Halloween because they're evil. They're pagan. Well, it might very well be so. And you can feel free to do it. You can feel free not to. It's not a sin issue. As long as we come together and we say, Jesus died, was buried, and he resurrected so that we would resurrect with him one day, that is where our faith lies. And we come together in the power of His Spirit. Because remember, the early church didn't have the Bible. They didn't have a set of rules or of regulations, do's and don'ts. They had the Spirit. They were commanded to walk by the Spirit. 
that was already placed inside of us. It was the fulfillment. Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 prophesy about this. He prophesied, he basically quoted it three times. He's like, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I will write my law, my, uh, my, and that word namas is opinions, a perspective, my ways on your heart. I will change you from the inside out, from death to life. For some people, it's like night and day, like boom, like it's, they're a completely different person when they wake up. For others, it takes a long time. It's just that concept of growing in maturity, growing up. Being patient. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. How do you get your children to not run around the church like mine did this morning? He was like running laps. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Growth, maturity, right? Growth. We want, we're, it's allowing each other to grow in our faith. Amen. And not just, you know, Smacking down on each other. It's, you know, our faith is not about the ability to chastise one another into obedience. No. Our faith is about walking with one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. And if we have to, if we see some blatant sin that we really just need to address because they're not seeing it, it's like when someone's fly is down, they're just not seeing it. <laughs> Like Gary let me know one Sunday morning when I was up here. I was like, oh. They're just not seeing it. So like, it's alerting people, do you see this in your life? Because I want to help you walk through it. It's a help, not a get your stuff together, your dirty sinner. It's treating one another like God treats us. Because remember, what does God not call us after we come to faith in Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit? Sinner. He calls us saints. And saint means holy one of the Most High God. It's not that you don't do stupid things. But it's learning from those things. God gives us the, the room and the ability to learn from those things so that we can grow in our faith. Walking with one another. Patiently. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love. What? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Because what is the number one? What are the one number one and two things that, that keep people from the church? Hypocrisy and, and judgment, condemnation. That's not what the gospel is all about, guys. So this is what it means. To believe in the, fa- in the glory and the goodness of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because we were baptized into his death so that we can share in his resurrection one day to walk in the newness of life. Because we have the hope that we will be raised one day. We have great hope in this. Not like the world has. Like the world, it's like, Atheists are like, what's your hope? Who gives us reason to live? No one, no one. They're like, this is what we know. We don't know. But there's no hope. Like, what is the hope? Like, what, how, why do you live? Why do you exist? What is your purpose? If there's no purpose, why suffer? 
Because there's no meaning and reason for it all. What's the whole point of life? God. That's why I like, what? My two favorite words. But God gives us that hope. He gives us that meaning. Why? Because He made us. For goodness. He said this, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And what? Have it abundantly. He wants joy in your life. He wants flourishing. Shalom. Tov, right? And most of all, and I mean this most of all, He wants us to know Him. And to be known by Him. To be in that relationship. To be reconciled and be brought back into the family of God. Because that's where He is. And where He is, He knows that that is the ultimate hope. That is the ultimate joy. That is the ultimate love. That is the ultimate peace in this world. is Him. And anywhere else is going to be death and destruction. Or emptiness. Hollowness. Scraping at life to try to make it worth something. But when we get a view of God, when we get a, 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 just a, a picture of Jesus, it changes everything. When we continue to get a fresh vision of Jesus and His goodness and His glory, it draws us closer and closer in. That's why I love verses like Colossians 1, 15-20 that says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. We'll come back to that. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He must have first place in everything. His word must have first place in everything in our lives. Not just the leftovers or to be compartmented to something we do once a week or to pick this up occasionally when we think about it. Or have nothing else to do, better to do. And like, oh yeah, I guess I, I guess I should just pick up my Bible. <laughs> no Instagram. But the very way, the very way in which we live our lives, has to be through the lens of our faith. Has to be through the lens of this, and this is so much better than anything else out there. Right? It's the best 
so much better than any writings of any other religion in this world. It is the only thing that gives us hope. It's so much better than any of these other poetry writings of these different people. Buddha, Hinduism. We try to like mix all these things and it gets weird. You get things like cut out in, out in immigrant. Kind of mixing and merging all these things. Oh yeah. But this has to be the way in which we live our lives. Not in this weird belief of reincarnation coming up. Not in this weird belief in mixing Jesus and witchcraft or Jesus and New Age or Jesus and all these other things. It's Jesus. Because when you get Jesus plus something, it equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because when we live our lives in this way, life was, is, will be lived the way that God intended it to be lived. Because what he said in Galatians chapter, Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I love images like baptism. You know, baptism is actually this really interesting thing where baptism is actually your death day. Amen. You're saying, I'm coming to die. But it's also life day. Amen. I'm coming to die to myself. I'm coming to die to my desires. I'm coming to die to everything in the world. In fact, during when you, when earliest expressions of baptism... When, when people came um, to be baptized, they had a renunciation as part of the baptism. I renounce all of the gods I used to worship. I renounce the gods of, you know, of Zeus and Aphrodite and, and the pantheon, you know, like, uh, what's, his, what's his butt? Uh, Neptune and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and Artemis. And they, they had a renunciation of the gods they used to worship. Ours should be, I renounce myself. Because that's the God of America, is the self. And doing all these things in order to make my life good and trying to scrape and, and grab all these different things, expressions of faith that make us feel spiritual. But God says, I have a much better way. And you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is sit. Sit with me and I will give you myself. Amen. Open up my word and I will speak to you. You don't have to do these things with your hands and try to like do like a seance or something like crazy to get. There's actually a Christian Ouija board. Do you know that? No. no. Yeah. No way. It's weird. Super weird. Air quotes, for sure. Air quotes. Yeah. Like you want to talk to the Holy Spirit? Here you go. Here's your Holy Spirit Ouija board. Don't Google it. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. But having the hope that God gives you all of himself when you claim, claim your faith in Him, you die to yourself. You die to the ways in which you once lived. It's like in a wedding ceremony. I was so glad we put that in our wedding ceremony. Forsaking all others and only, holding only unto you till the very last day I draw my breath. You come to die in order that you come to life. That in order that you may fully and truly live 
And remembering that you will be raised with him on the last day, on the day of the resurrection. We die once, we raise once with God. Because our purpose in life, as it says in the, in the Westminster Catechism, he says the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our goal. That's our purpose. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. We have been raised to enjoy and glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To glorify him, to enjoy him, to come before his presence. And that's why we can sing at the top of our lungs, All hail King Jesus, the risen Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth. Amen. Amen. And amen. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises that we who believe, who have placed our faith and our allegiance in Jesus Christ, his blood shed on the cross, being buried with him in the tomb, and his raising from the dead, that we live a new life with the hope of the resurrection with you to be where you are. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your glory. And God, I pray right now that you would move in our midst, that you would draw all to a change of mind about who you are, God, and come to faith and proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the Holy Spirit here this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts with affection for you and for one another. Glorify yourself as we enjoy you in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.